Hello, welcome to the Sisters in Zion podcast. This is Danielle here with you um, in San Diego, California, and my best friend Kirsten joining me from Hawaii. Hi, everybody. <laughs> we are loving doing this Women in the Gospel series right now, this, um, these new episodes that we're focusing on women in the scriptures, women from all sorts of aspects of the gospel that you're going to learn about that we have been just deep in deep discussion for a couple of years talking about how important womanhood womanhood is and how loving and forgiving and just the most amazing characteristics that women have and last time we talked about Tamar we're going into right now kind of the lineage of Christ and Tamar we talked all about um, how she kind of began that lineage and I want to, before we dive into Rahab, which is another amazing woman, I want to set the scene a little bit. And as you're following along, we've, we've been really loving the book Lineage of Grace, and we're reading from the Bible. And today we're going to be heavily in reading from Joshua, which is the story of Rahab and the Israelites taking um, the land of Jericho. So first off, though, from last time, we talked about Tamar and that they that Judah and Tamar, and they went back to Israel to live, well, Jacob, the father is Israel, to live with the families. Well, the families ended up, um, a famine came amongst the land, like we talked about, and they moved to Egypt, and where one of the 12 brothers, Joseph, right, held a high position in the Egyptian government. And as a result, his family was welcomed in, and the Israelites began to grow as a people, in um, Egypt for a really long time. And so as the Hebrews, they multiplied, right? They eventually, um, the Pharaoh of the time be, became a little threatened by their, their growth and their possible power. So he enslaved them and he took their, um, all of their people, made them slaves to build his big, huge um, edifices that still we see today, of course. And it wasn't until Moses, so you know the story of Moses, um, that he um, gets raised by the house of Pharaoh. And it wasn't until him and his miraculous, perf you know, um, miraculous uh, exodus <laughs> from, from Egypt with parting the Red Sea that they were able to be delivered. And then from there we have that they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And this is really interesting because the 40 years is, again, that time of purification, purifying the people to believe in faith and believe in their God and to expand their faith. And this is, this is going to um, tie into what we're talking today. These people saw these incredible miracles. And sometimes I think we're, we think, oh, gosh, if I would have saw the parting of the Red Sea, I would have been for sure. I would have stopped... Um, bowing down to idols or worshiping idols. And, you know, my faith would have been so strong. And that's actually not what happened. It's not true. And so these people had a really hard time leaving their traditions and their cultures that they were used to and that they um, had put faith into. And so they were, they were in the wilderness for 40 years. And it, it took until the next generation came up that they, that God saw that they were ready to go to the promised land. So that's what we have. So now the leader, I'm just kind of fast forwarding the leader to this time is now Joshua, who was an original, um, is 
Hebrew that came out with Moses. And we have um, Caleb. Caleb was the head of the house of Judah. And they were the only two really left that came back to, um, that came out of that 40 years that um, went to go take over the promised land. So, so now they're finally ready. They have this new generation of people. We have um, salmon, which is spelled S-A-L-M-O-N, like the fish. Maybe it's salmon. I'm not really sure how they say it. Or, but these are some of the key people in this time that um, go to Jericho. And they're on the other side of the River Jordan. And so Jericho is a city of Canaanites. And this city, just so we have you know, some understanding, they're very, um, again, they're worshiping idols and false gods. They're also sacrificing children and women. I mean, they're doing a lot of um, horrible practices that are, that are just totally abominable. Um, and we can assume um, that God did not obviously favor them. And we have, we've heard these promises even in the Book of Mormon that in the Bible, if you do not worship the God of this land, you will lose it. And that's where God was at with the people of Jericho, where almost, almost every single one was not, um, did not have their hearts turned towards God and were completely um, in the, in abomination in his sight. So then he sent those um, Israelites to the other side of the Jordan river. Um, and when the time was right, he is going to have them um, take over that city. So that's kind of setting the scene. So you kind of understand where we're at. Beautiful. So I love how you said almost, <laughs> almost everyone. There's one particular woman we want to talk about today who was so obviously intrigued with the Israelite God, with the culture, the people. I mean, she obviously, you know, had heard the stories of the Israelite God. They, they knew when the Israelites camped next to their city that, you know, something was going to happen. You know what I mean? I mean, the people are in the city. She, it says, you know, that she lived or, or dwelled near the city walls, right? So she was somebody who was very keenly aware of all the things that were going on in the city, um, which I just find fascinating. Just that one thing, that characteristic of being curious and being, you know, right at the edge of the city or, you know, right at the edge of the forefront of what's going on and just wanting to get all the information so that she could could make some really decisions. Um, Rahab is her story as I've read it in, you know, different books. Like I'm just so intrigued with her and the way that she operated, you know, she seems to have been a little, uh, less traditional maybe than like some of the other women in her, in her culture and her community. I mean, the fact that she would help some spies that came from the Israelite camp. So here's what happens with Rahab. She's uh, you know, living or, or dwelling on the, on the edge of the city in this wall, uh, you know, she's able to see these two Israelite spies come into the city to kind of do some recon, you know, they're coming in to check it out, right. To see like, okay, we're going to take this place over. And she spots them immediately. And she knows, you know, like, okay, these two guys obviously don't belong here, even though they tried to disguise themselves. And she pulls them into her, you know, she, she, I mean, she pulls them into her house or she, she helps them to, um, to stay safe 
in the city and she gives them information that they need in order to take over the city. Now, just think about like, why would she do that? Like she doesn't really even know at this point whether they would save her and her family or whether they wouldn't, you know, I mean, it's just kind of, I don't, we don't know exactly what the exchange was with them, but it's just kind of interesting to think about like what, what could her motivation have been from the beginning to save these guys? Yeah. It's a good, it's a good question. And we, as you read in the Bible, her motivation really is faith. And that's what's so intriguing about her story. And like you said, they, they came in and it says in the Bible that she lodged them and she and the king of Jericho found out. So Rahab is a harlot. Uh, she's a prostitute of the time. Very beautiful. Um, and she took the two men in. And when the king of Jericho came to look for them, um, she hid them on her roof. And then they came in and she says, oh, they left. And so she completely even betrayed her own people. So you, she's doing this for a a major purpose. And in the Bible, it even says that she says this, she says to the two spies, right? Which are the Israelites. She says, I know, and this is in chapter two, verse nine of Joshua. I know that the Lord has given you this land. Like that's a testimony. She's like, I know he has. And she says, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. Okay. So they're hearing these rumors from 40 years ago that, and then what you, then what, then, uh, when you came out of Egypt and she says, and what ye did unto the Kings of the Amorites and the Jordan and, and Og and these other peoples. And so they have heard the rumors of them, these miracles and these just um, taking over these lands that were an iniquity. And she says, And as soon as we had heard these things, it says in the Bible, our hearts did melt, which means like they were afraid and neither did there remain. So she's giving them, like you said, the intel and neither did there remain any more in courage in man. So she's telling them, these men are so afraid of you. There's no longer any courage in their hearts against you. So she's completely giving them intel. And then she says, because of you for the Lord. And this is what's key. Like you were saying, Kirsten. Because of you, for the Lord your God, she testifies right here. She goes, he is God in heaven and above and in earth and beneath. So she has this faith in this testimony from just hearing rumors. Remember how I was saying in the beginning, she wasn't there. She didn't see these miracles. She hears these rumors and all of a sudden she's like, oh, that's the true God. I just think that's incredible. Yeah, it is interesting. And it really makes me wonder like, was that testimony a gift from God? Like, was she planted there and given that truth and that knowledge? You know, I mean, God can't force us to, to know things, but obviously he did help her like to know that because like you said, she wasn't raised as an Israelite. She has no idea. She just heard some stories and all of a sudden she knows it's true. Like to me, that's a gift. That's a plan of our loving heavenly parents who know exactly what is supposed to happen, what covenants they have made with the Israelite children, with all of that, you know, they are bringing about their purposes for their posterity, for the lineage of Jesus Christ. And this is, you know, potentially where this comes from, right? And there's a lot of discussion around that as well. So I love how she, so so Rahab strikes a deal. I mean, she's, she's, 
the smart lady, right? And, and right in the, in the Bible, it says now in verse 12 of, of chapter two, now, therefore, I pray you swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that ye will also show kindness unto my father's house and give me a, a true token. So she wants them. She knows that they're going to destroy the city. You know, that's a given. She's like, All right, this is already happening. I already know. So can I please be saved? And my family, I want you guys to save me. And, and they said, yeah, yeah. They said our life for yours. Yes. And if you don't tell anybody anything, if you don't say a word, then yeah, we'll make sure that, um, we take care of you when we come back. And, um, and they do, they actually do. Um, and they tell her here, like where you're at on six eighteen, it says, just um, so she lets them down out of their house with this scarlet, this red, like uh, drapery type of a thing. Um, a thread is what it says, but um, probably it's a cord type of a thread. <laughs> probably not, didn't climb down out of a window <laughs> out of yeah. a, uh, on a thread. Yes. Yeah, sure. yeah. So she throws this down and they said, keep this in your window. So we know that um, to come and save you when the time comes that we're going to destroy the city. And so that's kind of the token is like, Hey, here you go. And so she, she strikes a deal because she believes in their God, which is really, really cool. And I, you were saying like, it's a gift and it's a gift, but it's only a gift because her agency chose it mm-hmm. because her agency sought it out. So at some point when she heard the rumors, she must have asked in her heart, I just had a friend yesterday and we were talking and she, this is really cool because she has had no upbringing. My friend here in San Diego, no upbringing of gospel, God, nothing. And she's little by little getting kind of awakened to, to these things. And we were talking and I ended up doing this whole history of like Christianity and stuff. And she was like mind blown. And she says, this is so funny. She goes, I've been praying and asking in my heart for clarity. She goes, I had no idea it was going to look like this, but I am finally getting the clarity. And so Rahab, it just made me think of that. Rahab, probably in the same type of a thing, pre-existence also plays a part in our agency and what we chose in, you know, and, and there, and then came down to earth, but she had to have been asking in her heart and the God answered her. And I, and I think it's so to me, I love to learn the lesson about how God will use um, his daughters, right? And, and men as well. But like, we're talking about the women. How, I wonder if there was anybody else in the city who was also hearing the stories of the Israelites and also maybe believing, you know, that it could be true. I mean, I, I, I'm a, I like to look at things from all sides. So when I think about the reality of what this looked like, I mean, here we are in a city with, I don't know how many people, I don't know if it says, but I'm sure thousands, hundreds of thousands of people, you know, it's a huge city, right? It's not a village. It's like the city of Jericho. It's giant, you know, and, and Rahab, Rahab's the only one. I mean, she's the only one. Her and her family are saved and everybody else dies. Like, that's so interesting. Wasn't anybody else hearing the stories of the Israelite army and like the miracles of their God? And I mean, there's no record of them. I, I don't know that there is or isn't. There, I like to believe there probably were some people that at least thought maybe it was true, but, but well, nobody acted upon it, right? Nobody, nobody like... Acted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they didn't actively seek it, but God knew that Rahab 
was seeking it. And, and it's like, God sees all of us, like God sees what we are seeking. And that's one of my favorite things that I learned from this is I will say to God in my prayers, will you, you know, use me? I understand like the desires of my heart. I want to be an active piece in your, in your hand. You know what I mean? Like whatever you are constructing, Lord, I want to be an active part of playing a role in the, the playing out of your will, you know? Yeah, that's, yeah, so true. And he, he does, he knows every single um, bit of us and our hearts. And if you think about a couple things, like just when you were talking, I was like, I realized the come follow me lesson this week was um, Alma going back into the city that was completely like cast him out. And the Lord's like, nope, there's one person. So the Lord does know. And he found Amulek. Am I yes. right on the names? And you then, are, yeah. Okay, and then Amulek feeds him and he gets Amulek on board. And so so the Lord does know. The Lord's like, there is actually one person in there in that city, Alma, go back. And he knows. And the Lord does know. Isn't that cool? He knows That's our so hearts. Cool. And it, it's like, and so when I, the visual, like the feeling I get is like, the Lord has this like, you know, this train or something. I don't know. And he, and the Lord knows who's on his train. Right. And so the Lord's like, as long as you stay close to me, I'm going to connect you to the people that are on the train. You know what I mean? And if you're out here and I won't whatever, forget you. yeah, I'm not going to forget you. I'm going to make sure. So, so the point is stay close to the Lord and he will make sure that you get on the train, so to speak. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and if there's nobody else in your city on the train, you're going to get in that train and you're going to go to a different city where there are he will connect you to mm -hmm. other followers and other faithful people who feel and seek him the way that you do. Yeah, it's so true. And if you think about her, um, the spies going into the city to get intel, to tell those two, you know, two Israelites, the people are scared of you guys. I mean, that's really the intel that they got. Did, did the Lord really need to know that? I mean, Joshua the prophet, he's literally, even in Joshua, in the scriptures of Joshua, it says like that the Lord was before him and, and Joshua was made like that people couldn't look upon him because he was glorified and God, in the Lord. So Joshua was speaking to God. God did not need them to go in and spy on anything. So if you think right. about that, they were sent there for Rahab because God knew her heart. She believed in this faith and this, in his power without seeing it, but just hearing it, never read their scriptures, didn't know any of their traditions, nothing. And she believed it. That's how yeah, powerful she was. You're, you're right. I mean, as an example of how Joshua didn't really need the intel, I mean, when they finally take over the city, I mean, they don't even, they just like walk around it and the yeah, walls Yeah, let's tumble. talk about that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm like, it's, I don't want to go into it too much yet, but I, if, yeah. I, I guess if we're ready, we should. But, I think um, so. I think that's part the next part of the story. So let's well, look I, at. I do want to say one yeah. thing before that. I just find it absolutely fascinating. Did you guys know that the Lord parts the river again? Like it's, you hear about Moses and the Red Sea, which was amazing. I mean, they're running from the, the Egyptians and everything, but actually as they go to the city to take over the city of Jericho, they actually pass through, uh, the waters. Let's see. I River believe, Jordan. yes, Jordan. Thank you. Yeah. We're, I'm in uh, Joshua three around verse 16, 15 to 16, 16 says the waters, which came down from above stood and rose up. 
and Ponic they heat. actually, yeah, they, so the water actually, you know, moves again in 17 and the priests that bear the Ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of Jordan and all the Israelites passed over on dry ground until all the people were passed clean over Jordan. It happened again, like two times in the Bible. It talks about that. It's just really cool. I was really amazed by that. That is so cool. I just tell, it just shows you he can defy any, anything that we just don't think of. And we are in some interesting last days here as well. And how much do we need to pull on this faith? The faith that Rahab had, the faith that, that these Israelites were able to come over on dry ground again. And then and then we'll kind of go into this next part, which is really cool. But they took 12 men out of the tw tribes of the 12 tribes or out of the tribes that were there actually. And they said, take up, this is cool. They said, take ye up every man, one of you, or 12 men, take a stone from the dry river and use these stones. And I put like, remember the miracles. And they said in seven, it says that you can remember that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. And when it passed and the Jordan waters of Jordan were cut off and these stones shall be a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. So they kept these stones out of that river to say, Hey, let's remember this miracle. So I kind of think yes. about what are some stones in our lives and the miracles that we, that we receive and, and that are may not have to be as huge as this, but are, are huge in our own sense. What are stones that we can do? I love that. Remember it's that. such a great visual. And I think it's really important for us to remember this. Um, Danielle, one thing that you taught me as you, a couple of years ago, you were going for this really, really big goal in your mm -hmm. business. And it was just this big jump and we were just really pushing towards it. And it took a lot of faith. And you um, told me about this journal that you kept. It was like this miracle journal, right? Mm -hmm. And you started writing every single all of the miracles that were happening that were leading you towards this big goal that you were, you know, going for. And it was very helpful for you because, you know, I think that part of mortality, at least for me, one of the biggest um, gaps that exists in my faith and in my connection to God, as I, as I get, I notice um, we call it getting out of charity with God. Like we, we we're not, making any major sins or anything like that. We, we just don't feel connected. We don't feel like it's like you start to lose your way and you feel kind of lost and sad and grumpy and, you know, nothing's working out and, you know, and, and this is just normal. It's just life. It's just the world, right? We get that residue on us and we get cloudy. And so this example of the 12 stones, it just reminds me of your journal mm -hmm. and the way that you taught me to remember the miracles along the way. And I think that's, um, an important reason why we need to keep records of the miracles that happen to us. And it almost makes it feel a little bit silly. Like when we are feeling lost and sad and all that, cause we're just like, I was just walking through a river on dry ground two days ago, so to speak. You know what I mean? I was like on top of the world with the Lord feeling so connected. And then two days later, here I am like just, I've already forgotten about all the stones and the river is washing over me and I'm a mess and I'm like two years old again, you know, and it's just like the Lord understands that that's how we are. But what a beautiful reminder to us of even then he was like, Hey guys, make sure you remember this. This is the second time <laughs> that we've done this. It's pretty and, powerful. Yeah, it is pretty powerful. And it just kind of, you're right. I forgot about that journal that I do. 
or that I did three years ago. And it's just one of those things like um, when you get discouraged, especially when you're staying focused on something, it's nice to read that. And I, as you were speaking, I was realizing that God has always, always commanded the people to write. And that's why we have the Bible as historical documents. That's what I said to my friend yesterday, because she kind of has a bad connotation of what it is. And I'm like, it's historical documents. People just wrote down. And that's, it. Um, if you look in even the story in the, in the Book of Mormon of the people of Mulek uh, that did not write and they did not write and they lost their language. And so they, they lost the, the, the language morphed over time. They didn't orig- keep their original language. And so I think the writing God's always commanded and writing in our journals and remembering these things, um, the little, when I actually look back and something, so if I have a prayer that has answered and I have this really cool experience and I write it down and I was like, that's cool. And then I kind of go out my, about my day. And then when I go back to reread it or share it with a friend, it's so much more powerful in hindsight sometimes and in the moment too. So let's talk a little bit and move on to the story so we can kind of wrap this up here. So they, so they go, and this is what I find is really cool is that the Lord, there's think you know, most people are thinking, Hey, there's these walls. You, if you go approach the walls then archers and you know, they can, the people can defend themselves. That's why people all over we've, we've gone to, you know, in Europe, you see fortresses build up with these walls. Well, the Lord doesn't work the ways of the man. Right. And so, so he doesn't tell the people, okay, go charge these walls, get some rams and help them charge and break down the walls, beat them down with a hammer. He tells them for seven days, you're going to walk, stomp around it, basically walk around the perimeter outside of probably archer range and walk around the perimeter, you know, seven times. So they walked for seven days, seven times around, but on, and on the seventh, um, Joshua commands them. He, actually, this is interesting, but first off the first six days, they walked around the perimeter. He tells them to be silent. Oh, I love that part. I have used A that. Silent fast. Yeah. I have used that example in so many talks in business, in life and everything. I got to tell you guys. So, and, and this comes from the book, The Power of I Am from Joel Osteen. He uses this example. So get this. The Lord tells the people of Israel to walk around in silence. Now, I can imagine there may be a few reasons why the Lord would do this, but one very important thing that we can take from this is we speak negativity. Our, our natural man is to kind of murmur a little bit. Maybe not a lot, you know, they're like, okay, we're doing it. Yeah. But like, oh, it's hot or, oh, I stubbed my toe or, oh my gosh, this is ridiculous. How are we ever going to get these giant walls down by walking around? What are we doing here? Or so-and-so made me mad or whatever, like the whole narrative. And the Lord is just like, shut your mouth. Okay. Just be still and know that I'm God. You cannot talk. And I have felt so many times in my life, my negative mind go to speak negativity and and try to make sense. It's not like I'm an extremely negative person, but I'm just trying to state facts and, you know, um, make sense of, yeah, process the whole thing and make sense of the whole world and how it relates to me and all of that. And the Lord is just like, for goodness sakes, Kirsten, just be quiet, you know, and, and he works this miracle with these children of Israel. 
by having them be silent. It's like our moms taught us. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all, you know, and that's hard. And I know, you know, Danielle and I like to process through things a lot. I'm just like, I just need to get it off. But sometimes, you know, as it relates to this and, and what Joel Osteen would teach in the power of I am is actually not to speak it, not to, not to allow it to escape your tongue, to think it is one thing, but the power of the spoken word is actually very, very powerful. And I just want to add one thing this last week, um, you know, Danielle, we usually talk like every single day, you know what I mean? Like we're just like chitter chatter all day long. And this past week we didn't talk as much and there wasn't really anything, you know, wrong with our relationship. It was just like, I think we were both just kind of like, Hmm. Yeah. Just gonna be silent. Yeah. I'm just going to let that be. I'm just going to watch the Lord and it's just a great example. I think a lot of people right now need to be more quiet, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> so, uh, no judgment there, but yeah, a lot of, lot of, I agree. That's going a, on. That's, <laughs> that's a good point. I'm glad you brought that. I love that book by Joel Olstein, the power of I am. And you're right. I mean, when you speak a word and you'll even see in this story, I mean, it carries an energetic, I mean, people with their voices can break glass. Huh. And so, yes, voice has a higher energy. And so if the Lord's like, I got to do a miracle, this, the earth, the, your minds, everything has to be set in a mode of faith. And this is going to be the best way is to keep silent. And I'm so glad you brought that up. That's so, so cool. It's just such a good way for us to learn from this story. And then the set, um, so we'll kind of finish on here. The seventh day they go around and then Joshua says, okay. And then they, they are to shout and they shout after they've gone around that seventh time. And what's really cool is what do you think the Lord does to the walls of Jericho? They crumble. They just crumble. Yeah. Crumble to the ground. The two spies that had met with Rahab go and rescue her and her family, whoever's within her walls and they bring her, her out and and they take over the city and they stop the iniquity that had started there. And the Israelites from there start to um, build up their own cities um, around that area. So that's kind of like how that story goes on that part. Now to go back to Rahab. So here, here's what's unclear. In the, and let me just kind of read a little something and then we'll just kind of expand upon why it would make sense. So it's pretty much understood that Salmon and Rahab actually um, got married she sh that she became accepted into the house of Israel um, which salmon is the house of Judah and we know that um, that salmon and a, somebody named Rashab <laughs> in the Bible had a son named Boaz and so we're going to go into that in a minute uh, or I mean the next episode but um, it, the Old Testament doesn't really say much uh, or it's pretty silent to the marriage of salmon with the harlot of Jericho Rahab and when it was compiled it just it, it, that part uh, wasn't really clear however we do know that Rahab is mentioned in James and in Hebrew and there and they've still continued to speak of her clear into the New Testament times and it says in like in Hebrew it says that she remember the faith of Rahab and so she was revered um, for a thousand, you know, we're a couple thousand years later still, I think I'm, maybe I'm off on my time zone, but, um, but her fame had risen and which is why even, and then Matthew wrote about and they, her name Rashab. So there's a little confusion with the name spelling and if it is the same person, however, it's pretty much 
assumed that it is because of some of the other um, information that the Bible gives us. So we'll just kind of go with that for now, but just know that there's other things that are revealed and truths that maybe we're just unsure of at that time. But, but yeah, Rahab and Sal- Salmon get, you know, Mary, they begat, it says in Matthew 1, 5, Salmon begat booze of Rahab. So we assume booze is Boaz. It's just another spelling. So you can see the spellings get changed up a little bit. Um, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So, so they go on to, um, get married and have supposedly, we, we think anyway, have children. And so I'll just kind of go through the, um, the genealogy, which I think is really cool too, as I was reading this and, you know, in the Bible, we see there's genealogy throughout the Bible. Like, so another thing of a key thing you'll see of the Lord's people is record keeping and genealogy. Yeah. Really neat. And so it says, and the genealogy is basically Rahab and Salmon had a son named Boaz. Boaz was the father of Obed, Obed, the father of Jesse and Jesse, the father of King David. And from the line of King David of the tribe of Judah came the promised Messiah, Jesus Christ, our savior and Lord. So that's kind of in her epilogue of this book, um, the lineage of grace, but I just want to kind of wrap up and speak about just Rahab's faith. And what yeah. it took for her to just hear these stories, turn her heart to God, and the fact, let's talk about that she was a harlot. Um, I just, it makes you, it, that doesn't matter to God. Yeah. It does not matter. He loves, he sees your heart. Yeah. He, 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 just, he doesn't judge you for choices you make here. He just wants your heart turned to him. And once you do, he purifies and and helps you, you know, stay close to him. But I just think that it doesn't matter. And if Christ, if this is, you know, correct in his lineage and we've got our Bible record keeping correctly, this is his lineage and Christ comes from, from this lineage. What does that tell you? Oh my gosh. He sees people's hearts. He loves his sisters. He loves his people. His people are those who love him. It's my favorite thing, actually. I love, and so we are going to, like you said, assume based on different records that are in the Bible and then other stories and things that we've kind of researched that God does use Rahab and Salmon to beget Boaz. And I'm excited to talk next time about Boaz and, you know, Esther, Ruth, and yeah, yeah, yeah. And anyway, all of that, we'll go into that next time. But, uh, to see, I love that you read the lineage and just showing where the lineage of Christ comes from, um, at least on that side. Uh, and just seeing the mind of God, you know, we really can't know the mind of God, but we can witness evidence of his dealings with his children, right? And as we see Rahab and the way that she showed up and the way that she played this really important role, it really reminds me also of you know, as I get a little bit older, I'm not too old, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm getting right around, you know, maybe whatever. I'm 40. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Well, I was going to say halfway, but I think I'll probably live to a hundred. So I'm not even halfway. So anyway, uh, but as I get, you know, my children are getting older and I'm see, I'm just seeing kind of a cycle, you know, I'm seeing it in a different light and I'm seeing how, you know, uh, I was showing, actually, I was showing one of my sons, our genealogical chart. And, and he could see his name and then my name with my husband and, and my parents and my husband's parents and then our parents and then our grandparents. And I know 
even not my great grandpas, but some of my great grandmothers, I knew these women. I met them. I remember I was quite young, but I do remember meeting them, going to their homes and, you know, having some experiences with them, you know, and he has no idea who those women are. I mean, I was telling him, I said, you know, someday you'll tell your children about your grandma who is my mom and he knows her like he has a very close relationship with my mom and Kyle's mom, you know, and these are real relationships. These are people that live. They're not just names in a book. Like these are actual feelings and stories and pains and afflictions and all the not knowing, you know, it's so easy for us to look at a story and read it, you know, from start to finish and go, Oh yeah. Like we look at it with the lens of, Oh, I'm sure they knew they didn't know. Just like we don't know every single day. They probably had to be reminded of the 12 stones. You think they knew and they didn't even have the internet or videos or media or, you know, all these modalities to teach them. And you know, I sometimes think those things are a bit of a distraction, to be honest. I think it's actually our connection back to the Lord and that, that train or that thread, like I talked about, of being close to the Lord and being used, being a part of his family and keeping those records. Um, it's, we, we are such an important part of this story of the children of God. We play a lot more important of a role than we probably understand. And I believe that Satan wants us. That's probably one of his biggest goals, at, at least for me. I, I don't know if I could speak for everybody, but I think one of the biggest things that Satan does to me a lot is try to tell me that, oh yeah, you're just a dime a dozen. Oh yeah. You know, you've just all the story of how unimportant I am. Right. And he plays on that because it's like, well, I want to be humble and, and teachable. And yes, I am just one of God's children. And at the same time, I have the ability to become like God. So I think Satan kind of plays on our inability to see our power and also plays on maybe some cultural stories of like, oh, well, you don't want to be too bright and shiny because then, you know, what does that mean? You know what I mean? So anyway, these are some of my own feelings. And I, I wonder how Rahab must have felt mm -hmm. as she played this role. You know, when you say Rahab's fame, you know, became talked about for and ever, forever and ever, I wonder how she felt about that. I wonder how that worked for her. And I wonder how it worked against her at different times in her life. You know, yeah. this is all interesting perspective. I think you hit on a key point, And that is that Satan is going to try to use, especially towards, I mean, all, all God's children, but towards God's um, children who follow him and towards his women, especially is what I wanted to yes. bring down to, to use, to defeat yourself, to feel like you're less than because and, and anytime we do that, when we start to beat ourselves up or feel like, Oh, well, I got to stay, you know, small, you know, that's, that's not God. That's not what he wants for you. And, and, you know, the fact that God knew Rahab, he knew her heart had been asking, he knows you and he, that he would send two guys in as a spy just to, you know, basically discover her was really the only reason they went in. If you think about it, he didn't need the Intel that people were afraid of them. Like didn't need that. That's not that he would have, he would have, if he was going to break down the walls anyway, he wouldn't have needed. That would scare everybody enough going, Oh my gosh, this God is real. <laughs> Our walls just got broken down with nothing. <laughs> yes. From people yes. shouting outside of it. I mean, it's just crazy. So he knows you and the, and 
I, the story of Rahab, I feel like it's so relatable to every single one of us being imperfect, maybe not following in the straight and narrow path. I mean, all of us, we may strive to follow the straight and narrow, but we don't always, you know, make it. We, we murmur, we, whatever, all these things that are, um, maybe not so bright and shiny about our background. Guess what? It doesn't even matter to God. He loves you anyway. He's just saying, just keep turning to me. I've got you. And I, I just, I think that's so important. I've got you. I know you. He could have condemned her just for her acts of being a prostitute. That's not what mattered to him. It was her heart. He could have I said, she'll just burn in the city. Yeah. He didn't. There was no I way. imagine too, and I don't know this, but I imagine just knowing how Satan works on me in my mind and the mistakes I've made. That was probably something that Satan tried to follow her around with for the rest of her life. You know, oh, you don't deserve to be here. Oh, you're a prostitute. You know, oh yeah, you did that one thing where you helped those guys, but everything else you've done is like a total mm -hmm. disaster. You know what I mean? Like that's the narrative that we have to overcome. It's all, it hits all of us in all the different ways. Yeah. And I agree. And if, 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 if Rahab's story gives you permission for anything, it gives you permission to let go of those negative voices and believe in your greatness, believe in that something so small that may seem small and insignificant in a huge city that you are significant and you can be, you are a daughter of God. You're important and that you can be someone that makes a massive difference. We all have different stories and different backgrounds and, and different characteristics and you're unique. And I just think her story just, it just, to me, it made me feel like, wow, each of us are so special, so special and play a role in bringing God's kingdom. Uh, and I would invite you to look at something that you do every day that makes you feel not special. You know what I mean? So whatever that is for you, like just notice that maybe you wake up in the morning and you feel amazing and you go throughout, you know, the first, the first hour, the second hour, and then something, does something happen? Is there something you do somewhere you go, somebody you talk to, something you eat, whatever it is, like, what is it that dims your ability to feel God's love for you and, and start to pay attention to that. And to me, that's what repenting is, right? It's not like, oh, you're bad. You did this, you did that. It's more like, oh, every time I do this, and it takes me a long time because I got a lot of deep set habits and things that I do. Every time I do this, I feel less close to God. I feel less light. You know, it just kind of brings in a heaviness to me. And so pay attention to that. And that, that would be my invitation to you. You know, you have so much greatness in you. You have so many people to serve and so many others who are praying for you to help them. We are all in this together, sisters, all of us. We are here together to help each other, to share our stories, to share the light of Jesus Christ, to kind of, not kind of, to definitely raise our banner, to raise our light and show others, hey, I'm here. I believe in God. I believe in these stories. I am a covenant daughter. If you want that, if you seek that, like, let's talk about it. Let's be about it, you know? And even if somebody, like, I love how you mentioned, Danielle, you know, not necessarily, you know, not all the daughters right now are wanting to make covenants with God and they're not necessarily seeking that, you know, I mean, again, the story of Rahab, she's a prostitute. Good for her. Like whatever. It's not even about 
what choices people have made. It's about where their heart is now and what they are seeking now. And we can call forth those women and be examples to them. I'm so grateful to be on here with you guys. It means everything to us to be able to share these stories Mm -hmm. of powerful women. I agree. I just, women have so much strength and power and they really do. And, and I just kind of want to reiterate why we're even doing this series is because it is the last days and it's time for women and their voices They're They have a way of kindly, lovingly, gently, and boldly declaring truth. And more than ever, we need that. It's time. The veil has been taken from women. It's time for their power to be unleashed. And I just, I love this power that us women have. It is divine. It is beautiful. It is beautiful. And I wanted to just tell you guys one thing in the book that we, we take a lot of our thoughts from besides the Bible, a lineage of grace by Francine rivers, the chapter mm-hmm. for Rahab is called unashamed. And I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I love that scripture. And I love how Rahab just unashamedly proclaims, you know, herself to be a a, really a member of God's family before she was even a member. Like how it's almost like, how dare she even say that? Like, she doesn't know these people. She's just heard their stories. And yet here she comes just boldly, like, save us. I believe in your God. You know, I'm going to help you. And uh, how can we be more? unashamed in our life with our testimony and see how that will help others. So uh, I am again, grateful to be here with you and grateful to share these stories. We have just a little sneak peek of what is coming. Um, As we mentioned from our studies and what we kind of have learned about, it seems possible that uh, Salmon and Rahab actually do begat Boaz. And so as we move into next week's episode, we're going to talk about the story of Boaz and specifically the story of Ruth as a woman and how she comes to connect into this lineage of grace, the lineage of Jesus Christ. There are amazing women along this line. I can't wait to tell you more about her and her faith and courage and what it meant for her to, oh my gosh, I'm not going to go into her story right now, but oh, it's so good. (laughs) Please join us next time. Really grateful to have you on here. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye.